Give me a break. Give me a break. Da, 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 da. <laughs> iron brains a podcast pining for the good old days not the good old days of just last week when the chocolate m&m characters were just a weirdly oversexed and lightly cannibalistic dish of tasty pals in a corny candy sitcom but back in the 1970s when the treats got their gritty start as a ragtag bunch of candy coated heavies doing like domestic terrorism and hardcore pornography and illegal back alley abortions my name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? Still good. Good. Folding laundry. Yep, my favorite. How much better can you be? Tonight is Monday, January 24th, 2022. I have no uh, clever or non-clever or anything to say about the date. I don't know, you know, nothing to add. We lost a cat this past week. We lost a lot a, of stuff. It's a fun the thing last to talk week. about. That's what right. else did you guys we are lose? All out of cats. Sorry to hear that. So it's. Yeah. Don't you fucking lie to us. Don't don't you give us any of your your fake sympathies. <laughs> Bob was really no, sad. How you I'm not feel about cats. cats because it was his cat. I, but we also I'm not against did we, cats. Was it Bob Saget? That Bob Saget died. Meatloaf died. Louis Anderson, Louis Anderson died. I thought was dead that a long time fashion ago. Fashion guy, Le- Andre Leon Talley. Like everyone's dead. That sounds made up. Yeah. Don't know who that is. Well, is obviously. The, the fashion guy? Yeah. I know just a little bit more about him than you do, Bob. Take yeah. that. Uh yeah, we uh we had to put down Fred the cat. Fred who'd made multiple appearances on on this show over the last couple of years. Yeah. I believe I cursed her name almost every time she made an appearance on the show, which is, I'm not going to say it's not indicative of my relationship with the cat, but it, it doesn't tell the whole story of my relationship with the cat. Abe, you're not a pets person. It's, uh, I'm weirdly like in between on, on the concept of pets uh, having had them basically against my will for my entire adult life. They won you over over the years? Yeah, sure. But it drives me nuts when I hear like weird pet people talking about like their fur babies or whatever. Like, And they're almost always childless people when they talk about their pets uh, yes. as though they were children. And let me tell you something. No matter how much you love the animal in your life, it's not the same as having right. a child in any way. The it's best not example even, is that you're allowed to leave the animal. Right. It's not even right. in the also, same universe of of anything. Is this the case because you know for sure, Bob, because you have had both? What if these people who are without the so human child? I can I can imagine like I know what they're doing. They the the human person who owns the pet, who, who cohabitates with the pet. 
imputes on the cat a great deal of their own feeling, right? Like, I'm right. not denying the emotionality there. But all of the work is being done by you. You are actively doing the work of inventing that relationship into what it is you want it to be. And you have no act, so you have a, a minimal sort of ethical responsibility in that situation because you've chosen to take on the, the life of this other thing sort of as your responsibility, right? So you have right. a certain amount of duty to the animal at that point. But it's it, it, to suggest in any way that it's anything like, like when people welcome new fur babies into their family on, on social media or whatever, like, I'm not, I will never like, like, okay, you post a picture of your cat or your dog, I will like it. But as soon as you start talking about, like, like how this is a, a new member of your family, like, get the fuck out of here. It, it's just not, does not, <laughs> well, does I, not I'm equate. surprised you, you're taking this approach, because in theory, I would take that position, but I don't, because I can kind of almost see it. What's wrong? It seems like it's almost like a, a healthy outlet for people to, like, you know. Oh, it's, an, it, it's certainly right? an outlet. I would, I, don't know that I would characterize it as a healthy outlet when you look at the way some of these people talk about their animals. You're, you're right, because humans are doing almost all the heavy lifting from, from afar. When I see all this, uh, oh, look at that. What a cute dress this dog is wearing. It's like you put the, you know, but all right, right fine. I'll also, do you know what's uh, happening with these animals? The 90% of the time that they're not being posed for the Instagram story, the animals just fuck it off somewhere. Like there's, like there's and and like Lori said, you can leave the house with a cat. You can leave the house for like three fucking days, and it doesn't matter. The cat's gonna be fine. You don't actually like have to do anything for the cat the vast majority of the time. And dogs are another different story. You have to get them out of the house so that they can do their business like once or twice right. a day at a minimum. Right. And yeah, you can have like I understand loving your That's animals. The thing. You love it the same, especially if you haven't had kids. Like I loved Holden as much as I now love the kids. No, that's insane. <laughs> I reject that entirely. You do not you did not love the cat as much as you love oh, your I children. Loved him so much. <laughs> he was a good cat as cats go. <laughs> He was great, oh and I loved him, and I cried when he died, and I was very sad about it. Just like with Fred, like I was legitimately, like, and I posted the thing on Facebook. Most of the people who listen here have access to that if they want to go and find that, my little obituary that I wrote for the cat. But all of that is work that's done by me, right? And, and most right. of my emotionality around the cat and the cat's death was... It's it's almost entirely. T I can't like, and maybe it makes me sound like a sociopath, and maybe to be fair, <laughs> perhaps I am. Maybe what? that's all that's happening here is I am revealing my sociopathy when it comes to cats. Although I would present as uh, as in my defense the fact that I cared for over the course of the last fifteen fucking years these animals that I base that I I thrust upon me and that I chose, yes, ultimately I made the decision to bring them into my life. But it's not like I went out and actively sought out to have these animals. They really should give you a medal of freedom or something <laughs> for your <laughs> The cats should get together, yes, and uh, award me with something. And instead what they do is they get to the end of their life and they just 
lose the ability to control their bodily functions and they start pissing all over you and your belongings and it's just your job to take care of them in their dotage right and that's that's fine but let's not pretend like it's all sunshine and lollipops it's very deeply unpleasant when you get to the end there and there's a cat that doesn't control its own bladder any longer like it's just not fun right. but i imagine that's not unlike humans who are uh, the bottom the, you know the wheels come no, off it's, and it's not but you find someone else to take care of the humans? That's right. In this country, we <laughs> ship them off to the old people place, and we let them die of the fucking awful I mean, virus that's going in, around. I mean, this ties in, though, with that suicide machine. Like, I wish I could die oh, the way yeah. that all these cats have died on fucking drugs and nice. Like, that'd be, that'd be all right. Yeah, well, most it people, orderly, most people right? die yeah. in their they'll die in their sleep or what have you, right? Yeah, dying in your well, sleep it is different than feeling amazing and then dying. Yeah, which is what By they the way, do to these cats. A slight aside, but I still remember this. But like in my early days uh, working for Uncle Sam, when I was uh, fielding calls, there was this old man who called, and his wife had recently died. Uh, this is not sensitive information. I'm sure he's also dead now, but uh, he <laughs> wanted for what, some what reason. What were the last four digits of his social, Abe? <laughs> while we're at it, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, but he, for whatever reason, wanted to clear up the air about dying in your sleep. He's like, you know, that's just a thing they say. Like my wife, like she was gurgling and like this suffocating. Is the guy telling like, oh, you this okay. on an IRS call? Sounds <laughs> yeah, like that, man. He's my hero. <laughs> It's like the check is in the mail. Just leave me alone. <laughs> it's just all of America you get calling you up there at the <laughs> at the government. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not here to disparage the people out there who who take on pet ownership. Wouldn't you recommend it after all this? Whole, right? It's still a net positive. The experience. Do I recommend pet ownership? I guess because I didn't immediately endorse the concept then it must be said that I do not like full-throatedly do so. I think that it's great for some people. I would, as I've been saying to Lori, I just want to have a couple of years. We're going to have a couple of years. I know, I know. And and we'll get cats again. I Like, I love Ooh, cats. Oh, he pluralized it. He said we'll get cats again. We'll get a cat oh, again. Wow. They don't live very, you know, all, yeah, this one lived 18, 19 years. But yeah, that was a good run. Is that not typical? The other of two the cats? were 16. 16 and 17. They live yeah. a while if you don't let them outside. Okay. Sure. And and we'll have a cat or, or cats in the future. It's just. Oh, I'm taking the over. I despise. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm so sick of the cat box of having in my life a box or multiple boxes because if you have more than one cat you need to have more than one litter box and and like having basically for the last 10 years or longer like a room dedicated in my house to where the cats can go and do their shit and then I have to clean it every day and then like once a month I have to like really clean it where you empty the whole thing into the trash and you bleach it out and you sanitize it and all of that stuff like it's just it's not pleasant and I'm glad to be done with that. Yes, having the pet is, it's its sort of, you know what it's sort of like? It's when you see people talk about their children and they say things like like how gratifying it is to have children. And, and people talk about how gratifying uh, like pet ownership can be. And I just, like gratification, I do not get that from my relationship with my children. And I certainly never got it from my relationship with my 
my pets. I just don't understand people who say, yeah, you know, being a parent is hard work, but at the end of the day, it's just so gratifying. What it's like, people say that? People, I talk to people uh, all day long and no one says that. Publicly. people When people talk about having kids, they talk about how it has brought meaning to their lives and their lives in some way that it, it, oh, it most people i know just complain about them constantly i've heard that second part the meaning and purpose and structure but that the meaning is nice because i don't want to die now because it would like mess up my kids oh <laughs> your previous position was you're neutral on the situation kind just, of <laughs> if a tree falls on me <laughs> yeah but like my kids would be traumatized and that'd right. be no, no good that's true so yeah. like that's a reason to stay alive i don't know about traumatized thanks Tra- <laughs> <laughs> i don't, mean, I don't mean, it's a tree i just mean that like trauma I mean, it wouldn't make a difference i'm never home no, so. no i'm just i'm just saying that i sort of reject the idea that Everything that happens to a human being that's negative is automatically a trauma. Like it's but not- timing matters. You know, when I was a youth, I was like, you know, as long as my my parents are alive through like you know adulthood, yeah, and I'll be fine. You know, if they die like on the back end, like yeah. I can't be too mad. That's but what when I, I was mean. coming like, up, I don't want to be alive not. forever. But like right, right now, I have a strong sense of self preservation, so that my so that you don't have to say, oh yeah, mommy died. Yeah, that right. would suck. Yeah, it would be traumatizing. I don't so, see. I just reject the use of the word traumatizing. I think. I think that we've defined it down. Okay, what I a think trauma that that, is. I think that I might agree with you sometimes, but in this case, that would be like really, really awful. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you know, people have been losing their parents at age nine and seven for all of human history. Yeah, and they've we, been traumatized made it from so it. Far. Just because it happens all the right. time doesn't mean it's not trauma. If a helmet-to-helmet hit can be traumatizing, the parent People have been diddled by their pastors for so many years. What's the big deal? And and to hear a lot of these uh, adults now complaining about the slightest injustices from their youth. This is what I'm saying. I am saying (laughs) you are making my point. All of these things are not actual traumas. If I lost my fucking arm, that would be traumatic, right? That's actual trauma. People have right. been losing their arms for thousands of years. Yeah, those were traumas. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I want to play a clip from uh, Fox News's Tucker Carlson tonight. Oh, 2024 front runner. Yeah, this is the man. This is the man <laughs> who. Oh, ab- please. Who, As if it's some high standard. <laughs> who Abe believes will be the next president of the United States. Finally tonight, we don't usually give story tips to NPR, but here's a story they might want to cover pretty soon and doubtless will. M&M's, the candy company, has just announced that it's redesigning its cartoon characters to be more gender inclusive. This is now their rolling video of the announcement from the Mars company. And it's just all of the M&M's happily waving at the camera in their new outfits or what have you. Bet you didn't think M&Ms were pushing intolerance, but they were. They've been changed. You're seeing the changes right now on your screen. The green M&M, you will notice, is no longer wearing sexy boots. Now she's wearing sensible sneakers. Why the change? Well, according to M&Ms, quote, we all win when we see more women in leading roles (laughs) because leading women do not wear sexy boots 
Leading women wear frumpy shoes. The frumpier, the better. That's the rule. The other big change is that the brown M&M has, quote, transitioned from high stilettos to lower block heels. Also less sexy. That's progress. M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off, we've achieved equity. They've won. Meanwhile, in a nod to the burgeoning wellness movement, the orange M&M will, quote, acknowledge and embrace his anxiety. And actually, if you look at him, the orange M&M does appear very anxious. Maybe he doesn't like all the ugly new shoes he sees around him. Maybe he liked the sexy boots. Maybe the orange M&M is a secret sexist himself. We don't know. We're going to let NPR get to the bottom of that. At the bottom, the, the best part about this bit is that throughout they pop up different things at the bottom of the screen, including uh, finally some gender inclusive chocolate candy. Did, did candy Tucker, in sexy shoes is highly offensive. Uh, did Tucker Carlson want to fuck these M&Ms this whole time? And at the end it says, miserable non-binary candy is all we deserve. <laughs> it, the, 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 the constantly changing Chiron thing has basically become what like Colbert and the Daily Show used to be with the over the shoulder thing right, right. it's gone because even like uh the the intro to I think Succession has uh, a little play on this where the fictional Fox News and they have some the dumbest like chirons at the bottom like right. about some pregnant woman like illegally crossing the some weird nonsense right but th this seems to be a thing I can't believe what I just saw you can't believe what you just saw. I'm shocked. I don't. Was he formerly attracted to the M&Ms and now he's not anymore? I did lose the plot there. What? Uh, I thought we were talking about candy. Like he's kind of transitioned fairly quickly into like fucking the candy. So I also deeply want to know how he feels about the movie Cars. Because <laughs> did he want to fuck the cars? I don't understand. I feel like we need to watch it again because I was, I've not seen that. Now, to be fair to Tucker, which I don't think that he's, I mean, obviously he's doing a bit, but he's not right. doing a bit in the way that we would be doing a bit if we were doing the bit, right? Like he's, no, it's it's a put on, but what is the, because there's part of me that wants to say that what Tucker is doing here is, and this is being as charitable as I can be, right, is that he's pointing at the patent absurdity of the fact that there were like sexy M&Ms before, right? And that, that now we need to, as a culture, sort of reel it back in so that it, it's, because because it is fucking absurd right. that the Mars company I've... gives out or does this whole big new fresh rollout of their candy characters uh, for a more, quote, more dynamic progressive world. And the way that they represent the more dynamic progressive world is to take her out of knee-high boots and put her <laughs> in sensible sneakers, right? right? And to take the stiletto heels and transition them to a more professional uh, block heel, right? And, it, like, these are anthropomorphic candies with legs and arms, that like none of it fucking matters, right? No, like it's all way, bullshit. If you want to respond to the absurdity of that, you say nothing. You don't do that. I suspect that what my boy Tucker is doing here is 
basically the point he's trying to get across is that they'll stop at nothing. Even the most benign, the most ridiculous thing, they'll make a issue out of because they're trying to reorient all of society into blah, blah, blah. You know, woke this and whatever. You know, that whole spiel. Like the angle seems to be like even something as trivial and stupid as candy, they'll try to reframe it into some sort of women's empowerment thing or some whatever. By the way, I've except seen, that Tucker uh, is playing. Except that Tucker is playing their game here. Whereas instead of saying which the, yeah. the correct response to this, because here this is from a CBS news story, the red M M&M, and M who has shown bully tendencies in the past will be more kind to his co-characters. Mars will also include imagery of M and Ms of all shapes and sizes, moving away from only one body size, and it will remove the prefixes from the characters' names in order to focus on their personalities rather than their gender. Currently, only the brown M M&M and M has a prefix, Miss Brown, on the M&M website. The company hopes their changes will show the importance of, quote, self-expression and the power of community, end quote. Like, why why would you take that so seriously that that's the segment that you do instead of turning around and saying, like, what the fuck are we talking about? These are right. these are candy-coated chocolates. It has nothing to do with any of this shit. Get the fuck out of here. Sell me the chocolate sugar yeah, stuff. You say nothing. That's how you... Right. That you well, just no. say nothing. You don't report on it. I, I I think he would he would have to say something just because, like I said, it kind of feeds into the larger point. I'm sure the rest of the the show was that tone, Bob. And so maybe he's like, just a change of pace. We need to take a more absurd angle. But there, he's still making the same. Like, how ridiculous are they being? By the way, can I just say, I've seen. Eminem commercials throughout the years, and I have purchased not a lot, but on occasion I've purchased Eminems. I've never really thought of the candies as like these stupid characters. I don't like, oh, orange, why are you so anxious? Nom, 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 nom. Like, you just eat it. Right. You just it, eat the it, candy. It's the perfect example of why I think that advertising is just 1000% bullshit, is, is Eminems. Because I've never, Eminem doesn't have a competitor. Right there's a there there are M and M's. Well, yeah. what, but other candies. What are you talking? Reese's right. Pieces, which are way better. Right, but if you want Reese's Pieces, that's what you buy. You don't it, because you have a ta- you have a a hankering for that Reese's Pieces. If you just right. want some chocolate candies that melt in your mouth and not in your hand, as the saying goes, <laughs> which also is bullshit. Oh, weird I've never held... Advertising doesn't work. You're I've able never, to recite it. <laughs> except that I've never held them in my hand for longer than three seconds without some of the fucking shitty dye rubbing off onto my hand and having to wash your hands afterwards. It's all a lie anyway. Right. This right. is this is but like I, finding out that, that the Easter Bunny's not real when you first take a fistful of M&M's. It can really ruin a childhood, is what I'm saying. But Traumatized even? The, uh, it's, it's a real trauma. The... <laughs> The problem is is that at no point has anyone ever watched a, one of those fucking commercials and then the next day been at the grocery store checkout line and looked at the hundred different options for them there and said, ah, oh, that fucking red M&M really got green good in the commercial I saw during uh, must-see TV on NBC last night, so I'm going to get a 99-cent package of that. Nobody's ever fucking done that. Do they have segregated, uh, like, or it's just a mixed no- at all times. You can't just get all you can. one I color. Mean, you, so you can order like custom packs. So okay. you can order all blue M&Ms and you could have like your face printed onto them for like a wedding. Oh, wow. Um, People just eating you all night. I mean, yeah, and, you uh, can make like, I could make Bob and Abe cast iron brains M&Ms for a promotional like thing. 
I could. Maybe I will. Maybe I'm <laughs> doing that fun. right now. But you can't just buy them at the store in all, especially because they're all the same flavor. Right. That's the other thing. Like, the, the, this is a, a ruse, right? This whole thing. All these different colors that people have preferences to. Right. Isn't no, it it's all? not like it's not like other candies where the different colors actually signify a different flavor. Right. Like Skittles or what have you. Although I think, did we ever do like a Skittles taste test no, on this show? No, but they show? do have or different flavors. They, right, they do actually have different flavors. Let's see, design I, I do wonder, how, on the other side of things, like how cynical are these people at M&M that they think that they can make some sort of uh, inroads with consumers because of, like, it just seems like it's such a weird, like, instinct or like a push. Like, So that's the other thing, is are there people at the advertising agency who came up with this who actually believe this shit, who actually think that they're going to build a better world by having right. a more inclusive set of cartoon characters who represent the candies. Right. So I can get two pounds of M&Ms for $50. I can choose three colors and put any image I want or text on all of them. Wow. Look at that. I just, you know? I would love to know... And we, we can actually talk about this in terms of the, the stupid Mike Pesca thing, too, the slate thing. But it, are there people who work at these companies who actually believe this nonsense, that the, the PR drivel that came out with this announcement? And that is what needs to be ridiculed. Not Tucker Carlson going all in on how the candy company won't be sexy enough for him anymore so that he, like what, like what he doesn't pop half a chub when he sees a commercial come on when what? he's watching the game with his kids like what What exactly is it that he's complaining about is not at all clear except to the extent that i guess he believes that there's some sort of like larger agenda afoot beneath it all rather than it just being some anything just to get somebody to talk about your fucking candy brand for two minutes on your show or yeah whatever. i wonder if if they think like oh this is gonna there's going to be some profile or feature. Somebody's going to talk about it online. It'll be all positive engagement, blah, 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 blah. Although you would think this would fly right into the stupid culture war stuff, right? I don't know how you didn't anticipate that as a marketing agency that maybe we shouldn't. But part of it has to be that nobody's going to stop buying M&Ms. And then like nobody's nobody's going to – like M&M sales aren't going to go through the roof in blue cities or whatever over the course of the next month because of this stupid thing. Like it's although there's nothing is too stupid anymore, so I, can, no, I, I would imagine people, that they didn't change the M and M's. They just changed the marketing of the M and M's. If they change right. the M and M's, then maybe. Right. So what nothing the, has changed. What are the chances that at Trump's next rally, because he's doing basically like monthly rallies at this point, that he doesn't do like a good five to seven minutes riff on oh on the M and M's. <laughs> There's a 100% chance he's going to work that in. I mean, he's got the, the, the lizard brain as far as what people a- get agitated by. And I'm sure it's not just Tucker Carlson that mentioned it, right? All the different like outlets on radio, online, and on cable news that are on the right side of things. Right. I'm I mean, sure they've worked working. this Here in. we are talking about M&Ms, so. Right. Good job, right, M&Ms. I- yeah. Sure. I just I don't understand. I don't know. I, I suppose there are people out there who insist that marketing is real and that it fucking matters. But for what it's worth, I remember when, I don't know, 20 years ago, there were these commercials with Kit Kat. And I remember they were funny and I would like get Kit Kat more often than not. So when you were, I think they have younger. some impact. Yeah. Yes. 
I mean, and it's because it's in your head. Yeah. So and like, that's, give me a break. Give me yeah. a break. Da, 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 da. <laughs> we literally spent, I spent all weekend watching football, which is like one of the very few programs these days that forces you to watch all the commercials because you right. can't. We haven't even talked about football. Fast forward through things, but like, I'm not going to buy a stupid F-150, but like, yeah, yeah some candy. That's the thing. Is like so. The F one fifty is the best selling car in America, I believe, every year. Basically, they sell like a million of them or something. Some Those stupid things look number. like they cost a million well, dollars well, too. Well, it's like. also because the like construction companies and stuff buy them in masses. Sure, yeah. and they have like a brand identity to maintain or something like that. They're not actually right. like, and I, I guess that's how they justify continuing to spend the millions of dollars on advertising it's just such a bizarre house of cards to me the the way that the right. entire advertising industry is built is that, that nobody is going to tell you that the advertising matters besides the advertising people right right and you have to keep up appearances almost basically it's like because if you let up in your advertising push you're like oh i'm going through some lean years uh for you there's know something so you in the there's something in the ads for the the pepsi halftime show where it's the copy says something like it's the it's the biggest moment of the year or something like that. And so we saw that like 50 times this weekend watching football. And at one point, Katie goes, that's not true. I don't <laughs> think that's the biggest moment of the year. She has had a lot to say about some commercials. That commercial that said it's not a bed. She was like, uh, that's a bed. Like, <laughs> when she was like three. Can't get shit past Katie. I know. <laughs> watching watching television with my children is funny because, like, they're at the exact right age where they get like really excited about stupid shit right. like that, and it's because I am. There are two things that are true about me that that are ridiculous. One is that, despite me talking about how stupid I think everyone is, I think that I tend to overestimate how smart the American public is. In general, like I, I never give us enough credit for how fucking stupid we are, and <laughs> and watching television with my children makes me think, well, this they get my nine and seven year old get really excited about the fucking dog shit that they see in commercials on television. Maybe that's just maybe it's just that that's the level of intellect that is the target market, and so that there are actually hundreds of millions of people out there watching this, just fucking wrapped watching yes. flow. And who thinks flow is like fucking hilarious Calvin and amazing? Has always loved commercials, right? Yeah, he's, and, he's dumb. and every once in a while there'll be like an occasion to you know like a prior Super Bowls uh, or whatever or like any sporting event uh, sometimes I'll watch it like at a friend and they'll have like some other people and it always it's always amusing when people take to commercials you've seen a million times that are terrible they're like ooh, ooh this is my this is the part where they you right. know like some old woman and the, her husband yeah. are just like oh and, this and is you, the part. you realize oh this is who network television is made for <laughs> yeah this so it, is why cbs gives rob schneider a fucking sitcom every 10 years right like that's how fucking stupid people actually but it's not, are but if it's okay so maybe i always cut people slack when it comes to oh how can you be so stupid because you know everybody likes what they likes right whatever right when i was younger i was big into professional wrestling I remember one of my uh, cousins or whatever, some older person, right, was visiting us, and there was this wrestling tag team match, and I was very enamored with it. I was like, oh, this is great. I was like, 
10, right? And these two wrestlers, one was called like Earthquake and the other guy was called Typhoon. And this older cousin just couldn't stop laughing. Like, like what a ridiculous... <laughs> As an adult, I agree with him. I wish I was his age then. But like back then, I was like, what this fucking asshole? <laughs> like right. he's ruining this whole thing. There's a big fight coming up. So like... Wherever you are, that's where you are. Whatever no, you like. Ten, ten years old is it's okay to swallow the K Fabi, right? At, right. <laughs> at that age, you can just drink it all down and it's all totally fine. It's when you're it, it's grown ups who refuse to have any sort of sense of, of who they are and instead right. allow just everything that flashes before their eyes to define them. That right. that just weirds me the fuck out. Do you think it's a sincere thing? Do you think like, well, this is what everybody else is into, so I'm going to play it up that I'm into it too? Or do you think that they actually genuinely care about like progressive insurance commercials? No, and- it's just, it's like you said, it's just whatever's in their eyes. It's pop music. It's the same thing. Yeah. Like people really yeah. like a song and then it goes away and then they really like another song. Like right. it's just disposable and they, they don't think about it. It's not, they're not like, oh, this is good and here's why. Right. It's just what right. it is and... Speaking of pop music, there's a, a brief kerfuffle that popped up on Twitter this afternoon Ooh. because of a an article, an interview in the Los Angeles Times with Damon Albarn, who was the front man for the band Blur back in the 90s and 2000s. He went on to, to lead Gorillaz, which is a sort of another sort of... Eastwood group? Yes, yep. Clint Eastwood and... and Nineteen two thousand. And the woohoo is that no, that yeah, blur? blur? Yeah, yeah. that that blur uh, song woo-hoo. too. Demon days, all of that great stuff. I love blur. I, I've never been a big. Well, whatever. We don't have to get into my particulars on on no, blur. No, we don't. Blur is good. I I ended up actually loving. I think gorillas even more than I loved blur. Uh, anyway, Damon Albarn interviewed in the Los Angeles Times. He said something about playing music where he's instead of with a whole band he's playing with uh, an orchestra at the uh, disney amphitheater in los angeles or the disney center or whatever the fuck they're calling it and he said it's it's not hard playing in a band and the interviewer says is it hard because it's so exposed when you're just up there with just the piano and the orchestra he says you can't hide behind anything you learn whether the songs are any good or whether they were popular at the time because of the sound and the attitude it's a day of reckoning and one to be honest that not much modern music could withstand interviewer you think a lot of modern musicians are just relying on sound and attitude he says name me someone who's not <laughs> and I'm the what's one funny asking is, the question this buddy is, this is very close to a take that I've been trying to like give shape to for the last couple of years. And he's like, as, as the, the joke on, you know, he, I've been working on this story for five years and he just went out and tweeted it, that, that old meme format. Yeah. Uh, this is what Damon Albarn is doing now. He's just saying it in an interview with the Los Angeles well, he's also Times. a musician, right. so it's different. Right. Anyway, so the interviewer then says, so she may not be to your taste, but Taylor Swift is an excellent songwriter. And he says, she doesn't write her own songs. And the interviewer says, of course she does. Uh, co-write some of them. And he says, that doesn't count. I know what co-writing is. Co-writing is very different to writing. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just saying there's a big difference between a songwriter and a songwriter who co-writes. doesn't mean that the outcome can't be really great. And some of the greatest singers, I mean, Ella Fitzgerald never wrote a song in her life. When I sing, I have to close my eyes and just be in there. I suppose I'm a traditionalist in that sense. 
A really interesting songwriter is Billie Eilish and her brother. I'm more attached to that than to Taylor Swift. It's just darker, less endlessly upbeat, way more minor and odd. I think she's exceptional. So that was what he said. That's the full extent of his comments on Taylor Swift. Uh-oh. And then Taylor reacted to it on Twitter she, she wrote, I was such a big fan of yours until I saw this. I write all, all of my own songs. Your hot take is completely false and so damaging. You don't have to like my songs, but it's really fucked up to try and discredit my writing. Wow. P.S. I wrote this tweet all by myself in case you were wondering. End quote. <laughs> uh, so we'll get back uh, to how, how I agree with Albar in, in a second. Swift says... Your hot take is completely false and so damaging. So I'm fine with with Taylor the, defending right. herself, right? I'm not okay with the, and it's so damaging. In fact, there's nothing damaging about a guy saying that he doesn't like what you do and that co-writing is different from writing. Like, she's implying somehow that she is being victimized or that girls or something are being victimized because yeah. they're just being written off. There's no, no damage could that's happening right. because Damon Albarn has a take about your fucking shitty music. Like, no no damage is being done. And like that's the sort of thing where, when I was joking about trauma earlier, yeah. this is where the hypersensitivity to this sort of thing is encroaching where everyone has to find a way to be a victim everyone has right. to fi find a way in which they have been traumatized by someone and that's their whole identity and taylor swift has done a really good job over the course of her entire career of having exactly this sort of fight publicly so that they, right. she can get a million yes queens and girl boss tweets in response do you think because this probably would have served the same purpose but would, would it not have pissed you off as much if she, instead of saying damaging, saying dismissive? Or would that be a similar type of argument that you're dismissing me because um, uh, oh, a woman couldn't possibly write it was, all It's her. the implication that there's hidden damage being done here under, under underneath everything. That is somehow there's a secret misogyny at play right. that's going on. And that, that, that him expressing that opinion, because, right. because then it comes down to, I have an opinion that... I'm not allowed to express because of the thing that it will do in the brains of people that that it, even Damon, Damon Albarn might not be a misogynist, but because he gives sucker to misogynists by dismissing Taylor Swift, then he is functionally a misogynist, right? That's sort of what she's that's that's sort of the the framework of what she's saying there. Now, to be clear, she didn't explicitly make that claim, right? We're just doing some of the heavy lifting to assume that what else is she talking about when he, she speaks about damage, right? It has to be something along, not like, oh, you right, damaged we, my we would be, ego. We, we would right? have to be actively playing dumb to not know what she's talking but, right, about when right. she says that it's but so damaging. But what I'm just to be clear, she, she didn't actually say that. Sure, but basically, I read the, right, you have to absolutely. draw the connection. Yeah. You're right. From yeah. a purely yeah. journalistic standpoint, I am not... I am not on my best behavior here because I read her entire quote and now I am assigning meaning to it myself. Right. But, but I, don't, again, I also like, don't think that I'm stepping out of school here. I think that that's, it's all there. By process of elimination, like what else could it be? I mean, not that that's how you should do it, but like I can kind of see where you're coming from. also does not really know what she's saying when she says that. And like you said, that's like a thing people say now instead of – like you said, if she had said dismissive – People don't know what they're talking about most of the time. So if someone's saying, oh, that's so damaging, like that, that's mean, 
it's it could just be her way of saying mean. Except also, that the shorthand, the sh that sort of shorthand about damaging, you can say it's just what people say now, but that's because that's what's in, that's, that is yeah. the cultural lexicon. No, I know. We well, talk in terms of intergenerational trauma. We talk in terms of... Yeah, but and sometimes people, when they say things, mean what they're saying, and then other times people are just saying things. Sort of not along these lines, but there's a segue in there somewhere, I'm sure. When I'm talking about Taylor and her how damaging it can be to have the wrong opinion about Taylor Swift writing or not writing her own music. Mike Pesca, oh, who yeah. formerly uh, worked at Slate and hosted the Slate podcast, The Gist, who we talked about on the show last February. In what context? I don't know. He was consciously uncoupled from Slate uh, after an investigation into his alleged racism slash harassment of other employees. Okay. It started By with him just repeating words that it wasn't cool for him to repeat. And then the okay. Okay, workplace stuff. So uh, not, so that's the thing is it, it comes down to a discussion of the N word basically. Right. And the use of that phrase and ultimately whether or not, he thought that it was correct for Don McGahn to get fired from the New York Times. Like that's how far removed we are from a oh wow <laughs> from a conversation that actually matters, which is that this whole controversy begins because Don McGahn is on a work trip with the New York Times, where the New York Times has this program where rich kids pay the New York Times thousands of dollars so that they can go on a a trip to Ecuador or whatever the fuck. That's and, right. Okay. And like yeah. go do hikes with locals and it looks great on your college resume because when you were 16 or 17, you took a trip abroad with the New York Times and you got to have personal interaction. It builds it builds relationships. You can you can network that way. And it looks good on the on the college application or what have you. Don McGann gets in and this is the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning COVID reporter for the New York Times. He, uh, McGann goes on this trip and there's a, the, the whole point is that they want these kids to have conversations with the mentor. And Don McGann in this case was the mentor or the, or the guide on this trip. And one of the dinner conversations one night was whether or not somebody should have been using the n-word and in what context was the n-word being used and did he say the n-word so so mcgann is like he asked for clarification from this student did the person who got in trouble say the n-word or did he say nigger right that right. so so that, that is was, uh, okay. that's mcgann at a dinner table asking that question and that led to Eventually, parents writing angry letters to McGann's bosses at the New York Times, which then leads to an investigation into Don McGann, which ultimately ends with him prostrate before the 25-year-olds who make up the tech and the newsroom at the New York Times. Right. Uh apologizing and then getting fucking shit canned anyway right, like right. That's not not that he ever used the word in anger not that he but but the the simple utterance of the syllables was enough right. to get don mcgann fired the conversation then in the slate slack channel is mike pesca being the only person in the entire group to say i'm not sure that's a firing offense 
right? right? He didn't he didn't even use the phrase and he says that you should listen to if you're interested at all in this or if you're if if you can stomach more than I can of the sort of anti-woke podcasting world where I can only take so much of it. So I only listen to the fifth the fifth column is a podcast uh, with some dudes and it's a fun podcast occasionally, but I can't listen to every episode because right. when you hear the same fucking shit all the time about like, like even if it is right up my alley, which is like, uh, basically the NPR crowd is over woke and it's annoying. Right. Right. Then yeah, like listen to it. If you want if that sort of thing you like injected into your veins, listen to the fifth column, <laughs> listen to blocked and reported. I right. can only handle so much of it. Right. Uh, I feel like if that's what you're into, I, I can think of like way better things to do with your life than to dive into what you don't like. Yeah. But people, people, ah, well, they shouldn't, right. They but shouldn't as, do that. as an alt, like people consume media and when they get fed up with listening to the NPR slate of podcasts, then they want to listen to something else. They should listen to fucking Led Zeppelin. How about that? And I can't listen to Zeppelin anymore because of my old manager at Domino's. All right. They should listen to something else. So much that Led Zeppelin is ruined for me. That's uh. how I feel about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Anyway, the conversation at Slate isn't even as explicit as McGann's conversation was, right? Where McGann actually said the word right. and also right. said the euphemism. He also said N-word. Apparently, right. Pesca didn't even say N-word, N-word. like, right. quote, N-word, end quote, right. uh, to say nothing of the fact that he didn't say the word itself, that the N-word is euphemizing, right? Right. But that was enough because he was so disliked around the newsroom because he apparently, and go, like I said, go listen to the fifth column episode about this. It's it's in their feed for this week if you're interested in it. And he gives a lengthy interview to them explaining uh, his side of the story to the extent that he's allowed to. Because the, the end of the story is that after being suspended indefinitely, he and Slate and their Slate's lawyers and his lawyers come to an arrangement, which is that after a lengthy investigation, they couldn't find that he violated any of their policies or had right. actually harassed anyone at work. And so he gets to keep the gist and the entire back catalog of that podcast, which is like going on like eight years now or something like that. Wait, wait. So how come I didn't notice this? Because this is like back when he was on and he's now back on. But like I used to listen to him frequently, like a couple of times a week at least. And so he's no longer with Slate because he he's no longer keeps with the Slate. name. He, he gets to keep the name of the podcast, The Gist. That will now be produced under his new production company that he it's owns. It's the same feed. I didn't and have he to gets do anything. To, he gets to keep the no, feed. it doesn't matter if he it's gets, the same name. Right. He gets to keep the, the audience. Like, and that was the most important thing to him, it seems, was maintaining the feed so that he can just start publishing new episodes of the podcast whenever he gets them up and running and they just go back into people's podcast feed. And yeah, he can just continue on. And apparently that's his plan. He did like 20 to 30 minute episodes that like not a news show, but like topical related to the news. And he would take sort of in the, in the way that Slate has always been up until the last four or five years, they take a non-orthodox view of the situation right. and, and try to present a compelling counter-argument to what might be considered acceptable mainstream thought. And that was the, that was the environment that he thought he was operating in as recently as last February when he got suspended simply for having a conversation about something topical in a way that ended up allegedly hurting a bunch of people's feelings. 
Right. So he was made whole, basically. He gets some money. I don't know if he had like a long-term contract with them. Basically, they're like, oh, keep the name, keep all that stuff, continue your show separate from Slate, and, and take it easy. Right. Was there like a, a, a period of time he had to wait? Was there a reason why he waited until January I, of 22? I think so. There's something about the... the the amount of time that he had to wait, and then also he has a, a non-disclosure agreement where he, there are certain things that he's not allowed to talk about in terms of specifics and in terms of uh, the investigation or whatever. But the, the bottom line is that he didn't do anything wrong. The people charged with finding him doing something wrong couldn't find anything that he right. did wrong. And you, still, you, his life was entirely deranged for right. the last year by this event. Right. Because for whomever actually knows anything about this, which can't be that many people, but the last thing they think of it was like he's a disgraced former host of a Slate podcast, right? Like the right. disgraced and, part had to be cleaned up. Right, and it's not clear that – so it, what's clear to me is that there are a whole bunch of other people who would take that as an opportunity to go on an anti-woke crusade, right, and, right. To, and to play up their status – as victim of an ideology that is so completely incurious to discover the possibility that their own ethical or moral compass might be slightly out of whack, that they can't even abide somebody having a differing opinion in the same newsroom as them, right? right. Like that That's the level of certainty that those people are operating with, that you can't even let someone who has a slightly combative take on... Where, where apparently, according to him, the way that they built episodes for his show was in part by using the... the and this was encouraged by his bosses to use the internal Slack channel to get a feel for what the the overriding feeling about any given topic was and, and to see if you can mine any differences in there for show content, right? You got to produce five times a week, uh, 20 to 30 minutes of content. It's not easy. Right. And so the way that they used to do that, that you could have adversarial conversations in order to figure out what it is that you actually think about a topic, right? And that, that in, a, in a place that is ostensibly an, like an opinion outfit, right? You're not right. just trying, to, you don't bring people in to trumpet an opinion. You bring right. unique individuals in to have interesting opinions themselves, right? That's right. sort of the whole conceit of the idea that we need to have disparate voices in the conversation, that, that diversity matters, right? The, the whole right. conceit of the diversity movement is that you want to bring in underrepresented voices, the people who've been marginalized historically or what have you, because they will offer a new perspective. But apparently at places like Slate, and presumably it's the same deal at, at say, Vox, for example, which has just been completely overrun the last couple of years with with the the social justice stuff, where there's just one opinion. And anything that deviates from that one opinion not only can't be voiced, but cannot even be listened to. That's how insane it is that that he wasn't even saying the euphemism. He was just saying right. he's not sure that Don McGahn should have been fired. He doesn't think that rises to a fireable offense. And that was enough to completely derange his life for the last year. I'm not encouraging anyone to like self-censor themselves needlessly, but I wonder if he kind of knew where he stood among his coworkers, like whether or not he was already not well-liked for whatever reason. 
uh, if he was like, maybe I should pick my battles because like this is not gonna. He probably thought I'm gonna present this in the most innocuous kind of way, just so I can kind of get the point across. Because you're right, I think a lot. And it seems like people have either planned for or settled for the appearance of diversity, not so much like diversity of opinions or thoughts. Right? It's just like, look, many different types of people are saying the same thing, which is not really the goal right but i guess here we are but i wonder if he ever thought like hmm their project's gonna allow here's another middle-aged white man blah 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 sticking up for another middle-aged white man they're always misunderstood they're never in the wrong and so like he was kind of swimming against the current knowingly or maybe he just wasn't aware of where he stood Okay, but it, it used to be – we used to accept people swimming against the current. In fact, right. we used to encourage it. We used right. to have adversarial conversations about all sorts of things, and it wasn't the end of the world. Nobody felt traumatized. Nobody thought this is actually damaging in some big, important way. Nobody also, worried about any of these questions in terms of, like, fucking existential life-ending import. They're right. not those things, right? right. It's just – Humans trying to figure shit out and to instead make everything so completely fraught is to make a serious mistake about how to be in the world. Right. And you would almost, I mean, nobody would invite this, but you would almost invite an opposing view if only to refine your position because like you want to see, does this shit make sense? Because a lot of times an idea sounds perfect and then you say it out loud and somebody is like, oh, here's this glaring hole and you're like, oh shit. And then you kind of either revise or you abandon, but at least that's like a healthy way to go about it. It's almost like stand-up comedians, like it doesn't matter what kind of jokes you write, you have to take it in front of an audience and there needs to be some feedback. And if there isn't, the joke you can try different ways, but if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work, right? So like if you have these ideas, that's these unimpeachable ideas, they get you get shitty ideas eventually because there is no like gravity that kind of keeps it honest, you know. So you almost do want it like that. But even like that style that you talk about, like wasn't Crossfire originally the idea was to have, you know, good faith debate about opposing views and seeing which is the, which argument won the day or whatever like but that turned into just like this cartoonish thing and it has but, it's no longer useful right it's not useful but also it's to the point where they even like npr has even dropped the end of week politics wrap up with david brooks and ej Dion, right or or whoever you wanted to slot into those positions right. they don't even right. bother with that anymore and the reason that they don't bother with that anymore is because once we'd entered the trumpeting like yeah. the idea of bringing on someone who was an actual Trump supporter to debate with somebody who would be right. more comfortable on NPR was completely fucking ridiculous, right? right? So instead you just had David Brooks and EJ Dion or whoever they slotted into those those slots completely agreeing with one another that what's happening with the Trump administration and Trump himself is completely unacceptable. And sort of having conversations at the margin about, like, what the future of the Republican Party looks like without Trump. Like, so much of the conversation that happens at NPR now is completely in agreement with itself at the outset, right? right. And, like, that, that, that goes for Slate, too. It goes for Vox, too. It goes and, – and, yeah, to be sure – it also goes for when you read something at Fox News. It also goes for Tucker and but but like those are outlets that you're supposed to expect it from. The reason that 
Fox even gets its start is because of a misunderstanding, a miscomprehension about what's happening in mass media that I think now is actually justified in a, in a, in a weird, twisted sort of way where Fox has now invented the world that they were complaining about back in 1996, <laughs> right? Be the change where, you want to see in the world, right? Right, where they, they, they insist that CNN is just the Clinton news, like the, the, the whole rush framing of everything as this, this massive mainstream media environment where it's just a way for media to shill for the Democrats. Right, they're all in on the weird, take for one party. In a yeah. weird way, a lot of the mainstream outlets have coalesced into a, a, a point of view and an ideology that simply cannot be questioned from within and can only be questioned from without. I, I think that's true of the employees that work there because obviously there's all these issues that are coming up. But do you not think that this speaks to the change in what the listener and viewer wants? They don't want their opinions challenged. They just want people to preach to the choir, right? So basically if you have the Rush Limbaugh's of the world where they're just telling you what you want to hear in entertaining ways sometimes, I mean less so with Tucker, but like maybe they're like nobody wants that like, the opposing view. They just want somebody to articulate something that they already believe in an effective way. And so they're now just catering to that. Maybe there isn't this audience out there that wants to see, oh, I hadn't considered... Right, but what's, disturb what's disturbing about it is that, so for example, the Supreme Court has agreed today that they're going to hear what amounts to a, a full challenge to like the notion of affirmative, affirmative action. action. Right. Right. So, and, and what we know already is how obnoxious the conversation is going to be around that, right? And right. that it's almost, it's to the point where you know where everybody along the way is going to come down on the, the, the question and that the reasons for why they will come down on it, right? That the, and the left will say that it's because they're racists and because they don't have empathy and because they don't care about people, Right. And you don't even have to really have the conversation. That's not going to stop us from having it. But right. at no point is there going to be any honest discussion aside from like a post on uh, Matt Iglesias's uh, Substack or something like that about whether or not affirmative action actually helps the people that it's designed to help, right? Because it's right. simply an article of faith among the NPR class, the, the mainstream, whatever it is that we're talking about here, it's just an article of faith that if you're trying to do the right thing, if you express the right sort of underlying political ideology, which is we need to raise up marginalized voices and we need to do that. And if that's the project that we say that we're on about, then we can't actually be doing anything wrong, even if the, the underlying facts don't actually tell a story that says this is helping for those goals, right? Right. It's like the weird opposite thing of the disparate impact of laws having a, a, a negative effect for for blacks or Asians or whatever. Like, well, now I've lost my train of thought entirely. But I yeah. think I think you know where I was going. Right. I mean, basically, the, the the proof of the racism is in like the numbers. I do wonder if they because this reminds me of the what is bribery and what is like buying somebody lunch. Like there was a Supreme Court case a few years ago where. The Supreme Court was just basically saying, hey, if sometimes industry types want to give politicians gifts and take them out to lunch, yeah, you know, freedom or whatever, right? So it's like as long as they don't say that I'm bribing you, then it's fine, right? So like is, is this where they're going to end up with the uh, affirmative action, get rid of affirmative action, but there's nothing 
officially that stops universities from considering it, but they'll just say, if oh, it's some other reason. they could also get rid of legacy stuff, then... Yeah, like, the, they can concoct any scenario, because it's not like a fixed number, not like every year, 1,000 seats, and it's a, if I give one spot to this one person, this Asian person is shit out of luck, right? It's, they can also add him, you know, or her, right? So it's like they can, as long as they have a flexible uh, system, they can color outside the lines uh, without them saying we're officially doing it for affirmative action reasons, right? So it's not like, like would this debilitate the enrollment number for minority groups or some minority groups if they got rid of no, this official? No, of course official? not, because the college admissions offices have already been captured by the sorts of people who know right. how to do yeah, the thing that you're that, describing. But, right. But the problem that I have is that the Supreme Court now is basically, at least this latest version of it is like, we can tolerate a lot, but you just have to mask your true intentions. You just can't come out and say you're bribing or you're using race as a factor. Do those things. Just don't say you're doing those things. And I don't know if that's actually like a step in the right direction. Like, I don't know if that's like actually helping things, but I guess it, you know, cleans up the law to get rid of it. And so people stop complaining because, oh, my child didn't get in to this one Ivy school as opposed to another. All right. One more piece of news stuff. This is an article that came out, I think, the day after we recorded last week. So it's been out for like a week now. And there's a it's a headline from AL.com, it's an Alabama news site. Police in this tiny Alabama uh, town yeah. suck <laughs> drivers into legal black hole. And it's a story that I guess by like modern online story standards is kind of long. But it's just a sort of normal newspaper story. And there are a couple of paragraphs that I'll read here. Police stops soared between 2018 and 2020. Fines and forfeitures, seizures of cars during traffic stops, among other things, doubled from 2018 to 2019. In 2020, they came to $610,000, which is 49% of the small town's skyrocketing revenue. This is the town of Brookside. It's a tiny little town. They have a dollar store, basically, and a a couple stoplights, and that's it, and a, a small little stretch of highway. And the person who became, he was the only cop when he was hired to be a cop there in Brookside. He's since hired like 18 other cops or something like that. (laughs) And he was looking at the growth. He said, I see a 600% increase. That's a failure. If you had more officers and more productivity, you'd have even more, Jones said. I think it could be more. When Jones was hired as chief in 2018, he was the only full-time police officer, he said in sworn testimony for a lawsuit filed against him in his city. By last summer, he said in a deposition, Brookside had hired eight additional full-time officers and several part-timers. Uh, later in the article, it points out that they've like hired six more. Uh, in an effort to expand our dedication and commitment to provide superior community service and protection. <laughs> what is the service that they're giving? Right. It's well, they give tickets. They just give tickets. <laughs> they. You're welcome. And like they charge they, and you should really. Go, I'll, I'll certainly link the article in the show notes. They they give out tickets that are just complete fucking bullshit. Right. And they give them out in droves, like by the dozens, such that people show up to fight these things and have to wait in line for multiple days just to get their time in in the municipal court there to try to have their say. All by design, I'm sure, because it's like, oh, this $100 ticket I want to fight, but I can't carve out 
all these hours to to fight it because I'm gonna lose more than I'm disputing. Right, and not to dismiss the defund the police thing entirely, right? Uh, but this is the sort of fucking police department that needs to be defunded, not not the not the ones that are. I mean, yeah, sure, there are bad cops out there, no no doubt about it. But these guys are just complete tyrannical pieces. But they're of shit. not. The the story isn't that they broke some law. This is all within the confines of established rules. For whatever reason, we think it's okay that police officers can shake people down to fund their own units and expand by more shakedowns and in this is i mean this story is like the worst example of it but like back in high school here in atlanta there was this small town that everybody knew i mean small town is kind of exaggerating it's like three streets one way and then five streets the other this very small stretch of road between uh this small town where it's in between stone mountain and some other town like outside of atlanta and they were known, I mean, when I first started at the Domino's, they were known, don't fuck around there. If it says 35, don't go 36. If it's 25, don't go to 26. Like, it's, they will get you for the we slightest thing. Driving from D.C. to here, yeah. Orange County, it, I, it might not even be true still. I won't drive above the speed limit on yeah. in Orange County because it used to be like, that's where you get pulled over and get a speeding ticket. Right, but their their whole thing, and and it's to their benefit that it is out of t- people passing through because they're even yeah. less likely to contest it because they're you know three hours yeah. away now, right? So it's like it's almost like this very parasitic relationship where it's just like <laughs> just waiting because there are all these rules. There are so many laws. This you change lanes in the slightest way, that's against the law. If you go one mile over the limit, that's against everything is against the law, right? Which goes into my theory that there are way too many laws because. You open up yourself to this sort of thing where there are so many laws, it's just all about the application of the laws. And so if a police unit wants to just park outside their building and just start pulling people over for anything, because you can catch people, it's like fish, fishing rather, right? It's so easy if you're on the road, every day that I'm on the road or whenever I am on the road these days, somebody's doing something illegal at all times. So it's like and it's such an especially, easy thing, especially especially here in Brookside, where they're just like apparently sort of making up laws that right. are making up violations that don't right. exist, right? And and writing tickets for things that aren't actually against the law. In May of 2019, Brookside officers ticketed 75 people for driving in the left lane. Between April 2018 and June 2020, they handed out 406 of those tickets, or about 15 a month, according to documents filed in the lawsuit. So that's not anybody speeding. That's just somebody that was in the left lane. Like the for passing longer, lane? Right, in the passing lane when they shouldn't have been, according to the officer. And right. according to the, the Alabama law that they're citing, that stretch of highway that that town is allowed to enforce uh, traffic violations on isn't even long enough for the person to have violated the state right. law that they're <laughs> citing. Like you have, you're not allowed to be in the left lane for more than three miles or something. Right. And the stretch of highway through the town is only a mile and a half. So and they couldn't, they, in theory, they can't write any of those tickets, but instead but they're writing dozens a month. But they're also citing, I think in the story it says that they're citing tickets outside their small little bubble too, right? Or at, right. In, in, on occasions. And and the, the police chief and the mayor seem to be all in on that. They're like, oh, we don't see any of these problems. They're all like exaggerating, like 90%, 99% of them are making this up. It's like, right. really? And they have a, 
and they they bought a fucking tank last year. Like yes. that's how much money that they, they bought a SWAT tank uh, with the to do revenue with, that's coming right? in because they could, right? I mean, they I guess they can't just pocket the money, so they just have to find uses for it. Right. But well, that's what the pro- classic the classic government bureaucracy thing to do, right? Is we right. have this big pile of money. If we don't right. spend it, then we can't justify getting it again next year. Right. So we have to spend it so that we can get the same budget again or continue to increase the and budget build, again. Yeah, build on the budget. Yeah, don't go backwards. Right. It's just, it's obviously bad, and it's the sort of like comical badness that you can't believe is but actually this- allowed to go on. This is so comical, you would think it would be like, you know, be picked up by all the different outlets and there would be a big shakeup. No, they're very Governor busy talking Valib- about M&Ms and what shoes the M&Ms <laughs> are wearing. By the way, on that point, uh, I, I know we, we talked about this already, but like, is one of the reasons why like we, we're fixated on these random things is because, you know, when people are like, maybe this is some cycle babble, but like when people are like overwhelmed, they fixate on things that are not important. And maybe sometimes... Of, that's I'm what's sure happening. That's part of it, because it's like, oh, that that Eminem thing. Let's talk about this. I mean, it was it was at the bottom of the his show. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm but, sure that's part of it. But like, you would think this would get. An, I mean, who who's on the other side of this? Other than the the mayor and the cop and the cops that he hired, right? Other than those few people, who is no, this for is this? One that right. like they can't touch it because everyone's going to be mad about it. Right. And you you can't point fingers. Well, there are some there are some bootlickers who are like perfectly happy to say, "Well, it's the police, and the police exactly. know best." So, <laughs> I don't know, briefly, should we talk about Ukraine because it's sort of no? We should talk about the playoffs. Ukraine. I don't it think was there's like a, the best day yesterday. Sure, sure. I, I Let's don't think, talk about Ukraine. I don't what think there's a lot to say. I I don't know what the upside is for good old Putin here. Like, it seems like you're just gonna... Now, the just... clear upside for Putin is that anytime he does this sort of thing, he gets a bump at home. And no. that's all that he cares about, right? If, if, if he's he, just doing this... This is, this is the sort of thing that's popular for him in the homeland, is to say, I'm here to unite the Russian-speaking people of the world, or what have you, and to do so <laughs> against the imperialist american european alliance and and doing so even though some of those russian-speaking people don't want that in also ukraine? in ukraine they speak ukrainian the eastern part of ukraine there is a part of ukraine yeah. where they don't even consider themselves ukrainian they consider themselves russian right but you know i understand the galvanizing power of like an external enemy but like there's no enemy like you're the like even in russia i'm sure it reads that way like nobody's doing anything to you you're just doing things to others, and all you're gonna do is just—I don't know why Ukraine hasn't joined NATO like years ago, but here they are. Sucks for them. Uh, but for all the other countries, get in while the getting is good, right? Get yeah. in, and nobody's gonna bother you again. Like I said, I don't know that there's a lot to say. Do you think anything's gonna happen? Do you think there's gonna be a skirmish? I don't know. I I can't imagine him making all of this noise and then not doing anything either, right? Like that just without any concessions, yeah. Because all of his demands are like ridiculous. Like he didn't even ask for something that's gettable. It's like, oh, just make sure no one else joins NATO again. It's like fuck off. Like that's the thing. To us, it reads as completely incoherent to to allow Putin to determine that no one else is permitted to join an alliance of (laughs) of Western countries doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Those people should be free to decide for themselves whether or not they want to do that. From our perspective, right from 
the perspective of somebody on the other side, I suppose they would say, well, but America is such a hegemonic and towering power that nobody can actually make a free choice in that way, right? That that people who choose to do it are making a coerced choice but anyway. But Ukraine to this day still hasn't, right? I mean, like all these right. other countries haven't, right? And and if they do, they do. But it just to me it seems like unless he follows through on it, which is going to be damaging to his, I mean, already shattered credibility i don't know what the end game is like and then what i don't know what's frustrating to me is that he's already won and, and by that what i mean is germany can't can't stand up to this right. in a meaningful way because they have so tied themselves to catching so much of their uh energy buying it from russia did something that, happen in germany with like nuclear power what happened like it seems like they were okay and now they're like they're in bed with the russians because they need their gas like Weren't things right. I going... forget what the number is, but something they get something like forty percent of their energy consumption from by, by buying Russian natural gas, right? Which obviously would be crippling for them. And, and like that's the thing, you'd think that the the entire Western alliance would find a way to right. get Germany cheap energy right. if that's what it comes down to. Like because Putin cannot, by the same token, Putin cannot afford to not sell energy to Western countries. And if we united against him in that way, it would cripple the Russian economy. And right. yeah, well, that would that would drive a certain amount of sort of internal, like, Russian populism to uh, supporting the leader. You can only survive on those sort of vapors for so long, right? right. Like, that, that doesn't work if there's a huge economic recession happening, unless you're the fucking hermit kingdom, I guess, right. in, uh, but in North Korea. Right now, it seems like Putin is at his strongest without doing anything more. I suspect that if he were to go in, the Ukrainian or Ukraine, uh, they will be propped up financially. For, you know, NATO is not going to get involved, but they would just send them stuff. Here's some weapons and here's some money. And and then you're just going to have this stalemate, right? Unless Russia puts in more resources into this you know, skirmish, and I don't know what the upside is. To me, it seems like you'd be playing just footsie with war, but like not actually go through with it. Yeah. Because if he goes well, I mean, there's reason, it, there's apparently, and, and to the extent that you can trust any of the intelligence sources that go to the media, which I think largely you cannot, but apparently there is concerns from Western intelligence sources that there will be a false flag event generated by essentially the Russian military in a to fight against the Russian military in order to justify a further incursion by right. uh, Russian forces. But into even Ukraine. with that, those reports, you would expect that, right? <laughs> the false flag thing. It's not like a, exactly a new strategy right. when you want to do something. Uh, but it just seems to be kind of like a silly kind of thing. And I don't even like if I'm, I'm sure China's like, just don't fuck it up during the Olympics. You know, can you do this like in March? Yeah, I read a piece a piece today about how we can maybe get a reprieve from all of this because President Xi would be upset with Putin if he did this <laughs> during the Olympics. It's like, seriously, like that's the that's how fucking stupid this is, is that this all might fizzle out because Xi doesn't want there to be a kerfuffle during the Olympics. Right. I don't know. There's a way that this whole conversation becomes about America's place in the world that can be sort of frustrating because, like, it's obvious that it shouldn't be that hard for the Western alliance to figure out a way to 
like I said, prop up the German energy economy long right. enough for Germany to say, hey, under no circumstances can we allow Russia to just go taking over other countries, right. uh, regardless of how much natural gas we're buying from you. And it's frustrating that like, that it's that stupid of a conversation. But maybe that's just that's just my American bias as a as a filthy American imperialist, I guess. Right. Uh, I, I suspect that it's a secondary concern Germany's complicated role in this because they can just, you know, vote present, just dick around while all the other countries do stuff. I suspect the issue is that Ukraine is not a NATO they're not duty bound to help them, right? I mean, other than right, just long term, you know. Duty bound to help them, but now I mean the whole point is that as a border country that you you now have no buffer. I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Nobody knows what's going to happen there. Most likely scenario is nothing. The only interesting thing to come out of Biden's press conference last week, I think, in terms of uh, how it's a reflection of the Biden presidency, is that he seems to just tell the truth about what's happening in Ukraine the entire right. time, which right. is not how you're supposed to deal with the situation. Like At no point did he say anything besides what he actually thinks about Putin and Russia and Ukraine. And that is interpreted as being entirely impolitic because it's it's giving away too much of the game or something right. like that. Right? You have to go through the whole dance in public. You can't just say, oh, they're going to do this and we're going to do this and they're going to do that and we're going to settle here and blah, blah, blah. Right. Instead of giving the soaring sort of Obamian rhetoric about defending American ideals abroad or whatever. I don't even know what the he angle just, would be, right? I mean, you can make that argument. Like, fuck that. We just got out of a... <laughs> we're not going to another war, right, over some... Sure. They'll figure it out. And, and, and it's likely that Putin's just... I'm going to get my foothold into the eastern part of the country just to kind of shake things up. But I don't think there's any appetite for anyone to get in a hot war. Yeah, there's not... I don't think we're going to see a land war. In, but you see in all Europe. of these stories now that's like, oh, 6,500 this and, you know, calling and getting them ready. And maybe we'll station them in, in, you know, Estonia or whatever. Right. That's, yeah. you don't want that. Anyway, football this weekend fucking ruled, didn't it? It was amazing. <laughs> what a ridiculous weekend. I think this is like the most competitive it's been in. Like, cause usually there's always one bad game, but it was ridiculous. Right. Traditionally, how, traditionally you have. This is the best football, pure right. football yeah. weekend of this the year the best because one. you right. have two games of two days of games, but not two full days. Just right. like yeah, two games, not like A by the time of... you get to Sunday, you're done with football. Yeah, just two games per day. It's plenty. Yeah, right. And the chances of you getting four duds are basically none because these are, in theory, all of the good yeah, teams the, that the, are left. Yeah. And man, was it good! And you got uh, on, it was so on, good. on Saturday. You had two close games that ended in the road team kicking uh, game-winning field goals as time as expired. Yeah. The early game on Sunday also ended exactly that same way. I couldn't get the. Was there a shank? Yeah, I think there was a shank on the Sunday, but there was hardly any. Everybody making their field goals. I was like, oh, this is a good game, but come on, somebody shank <laughs> right. Help me out. Uh, then we get to the last game of the weekend, which was uh, Chiefs-Bills, which Whew. looking at it ahead of time, you thought, well, that could be the best game of the weekend. I mean, they certainly. put it at the best slot. It's like the Sunday, the the, the main game. And, but man, also I, not too late. 6.30, good yeah. start time. Fuck which these is, 8 o'clock games. Right, which is a Super Bowl time, too. 6.30, it ends at 10 or 10.30 yes. at the latest. Everybody goes to sleep on time. 
I can't imagine because I was a neutral observer for all four games, but I can't imagine being either a Bills fan or a Chiefs fan during that game. I would have had a heart I, attack. All you have 20... to do is imagine being a Georgia or an Alabama fan for I, the but just, past 15 years. But just crazy how quickly things kept on turning. Oh, like, oh well, surely they're, they're out of time. Oh, what's this? The easiest oh, so play good. ever. It's like right. – that was the other thing. Like, there were some places, like, where is everybody? Like, where, it's like, it's, it's like the defense is maybe gassed. I don't know. But there were, I think, both games on Sunday. At the end of the game, there's, like, wide open people at, at the end zone. It's like, oh, I right. did a thing, and be, the guy fell. You don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but, like, that's got to be one of the greatest football games I've ever watched. <laughs> that right? is, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because both quarterbacks played really well, and yeah, you just – you don't see that often. I don't know how many points they scored in the last like two minutes in overtime. It was like all the points. So were, like, many. Yeah, it's like it was. It was twenty six to twenty one with two minutes to go. At the two minute warning, the Chiefs right. were winning twenty six to twenty one, and then the Bills score a touchdown. Yeah. Chiefs score. Yes. Bills score again. Yes. Then, and then field goal to tie it. And these are all lead changes, right? Right. So yeah. it's it's Bills are down, and then they score to go ahead. Yes. Chiefs. Immediately turn around and score. Bills then march down the field and score again. And then the Chiefs, with 13 seconds on the clock, when they when they go first and 10 from their own 25, after an, an if if you have to point to a mistake, which you don't like to do in a game that was played so well, right? Uh, uh, and and coached well, largely speaking, I think the decision to kick that out of the end zone for a touchback instead when of you could have gotten some time to dribble off the clock. And maybe sacrificed five or ten yards worth of field position. Okay, it, it was not the, the the right choice, right? But I wonder if like they gave up forty plus yards in thirteen seconds, right? I mean that's bad, right? That's not what you want to do. Like they gave up way too many yards in the very few seconds they had because let's say it was eighteen seconds and they did a squib and uh, you know they did something for like two seconds and then it's thirteen seconds. Like basically they they killed some clock to thirteen seconds. You're thinking, oh. Yeah, 13 seconds. I mean, maybe they'll do a play or two. You'll tackle them inbounds or something or interception. Or You don't expect that they would just if so you quickly. Can bleed, if you can bleed two or three seconds off the clock and it's Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and right. Travis Kelsey, then you fucking do it. And they chose but, not to do it, and it doesn't make any sense. But the way that those two quarterbacks were advancing the ball, even if you burn two or three seconds, I think it was like three or four seconds left before they kicked the field goal. It would have been like right. one second left, right? They would have figured out a way to get it just in time. It was that kind of game. So, yeah, wrong decision, but the, the defense couldn't stop anybody at the end. And there was nothing yeah. they could do. And it seemed, so and it seemed by all accounts that Kelsey and Mahomes just said, fuck the play, just let's run our own thing. Just run straight right. and I'll throw it to you. It didn't matter what the coordinator is saying. <laughs> and it worked. It's like, oh, fuck those guys. Just no, And it was... And I can't say that I was an entirely impartial observer because I put some money on the first game. I bet, and I I know it's super boring to hear people talk about their bets. It uh, is, but it's it is to me. It just makes the game so much more fun. I if don't you, think that it does. It you, was super fun for if me. There are some stakes, by the way, and so. There must have been somebody who had whatever the over under was on the second game because you you already ate shit. Uh, After the first, right? Right. Wasn't so the first game, the first game, I had 
it was Rams Bucks and the the Rams were catching like three points or something like that. Right. And the the over under was like forty eight and a half, I think. And I had the Rams plus three and the under. <laughs> and the way that that Rams defense was holding up through the first like half three quarters, it was. It was looking pretty good. I mean, yeah, at the half, it's like, oh, come on, they're they're gonna go over that number, right? And I was at I was waiting yeah. for I was waiting for a couple of stops in the beginning of the third quarter so I could then like bet the live line also to try to save myself because I, I wasn't feeling too good about that bet. But right. then the line didn't move enough to justify me hedging, and so I was just I was sort of boned. But then like the game arranged itself in such a way that I didn't get my heart broken on my bet until like the last the moment of the game. <laughs> because it kept on getting closer and closer. And by the way, that was supposed to be the bad game of the weekend. I mean, in while you're watching it, you're like, well, I guess this is going to be the game where, because it was 27-3, not 28-3, but 27-3. And you're thinking, right. come on, what are the chances that this sort of thing happens again? And then just stupid things like a fumble, just... Uh, inexplicable just turnover bizarre bizarre like hand of god stuff happening on the field where like just because the like the rams turned the ball over four fucking times and they were all fumbles i think and they were all they were all fumbles that got away like it was bizarre it wasn't like punched a ball out yeah it it was like oh was i holding that it's like somebody like hit him in the funny bone and just oops oh the ball goes down you guys get it and it happened like twice at least Right, and then at the end of that game where Brady turns it over, but then the Rams immediately yeah. like the they snap one over the- Stafford's shoulder, and it's fifty yards the other direction. It's like, oh no, we're just going to hand it to Brady, and like right. it was a really fun game. I'm glad that it ended the way that it ended because I'm glad Stafford won finally. Right, because now we have four teams in the in the championship game. By the way, all of which are sort of fun, and none of them are like like teams that you could hate. Like if the Cowboys were in it, you'd be like, man, I don't want the fucking Cowboys to win. Right. Everybody's sick and tired of Aaron Rodgers and the stupid Packers, and they're Ugh. out. We don't have to deal with them anymore. Brady is out of the fucking playoffs. We don't have to deal with that. Like it's just all the, good stories. The closest thing, I mean, i big fan of the Chiefs and Mahomes, but th- that, that would be the closest thing because this is like their fourth straight year they've been in the AFC title game. So yeah, that, they're the closest th- thing, but he's so likable. And he's still likable. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. He's likable even though we're like I'm so fucking sick of him being in the stupid State Farm commercials. Like I, <laughs> oh, I despise is. them, and still I see him on the field or I see him interviewed afterwards, and it's like, ah, oh, oh, that guy's he's fucking so great. Fun right. to watch. He's, he's so cool to These watch play football. Those two quarterbacks are ridiculous. Allen and Mahomes are unbelievable. Like the, the right. throws that they make, just with I'm ease. I'm gonna have a hard time rooting against Joe Burrow. Yeah. Boy, do I like Joe Burrow an awful lot. Joe Burrow could have died on the field. He was getting sacked a million times, no, he's and fine. he's like, "Oh, doesn't he matter." It. <laughs> the he cigarette. Likes it. Will- <laughs> yeah. The the moral of the story from the gambling perspective, by the way, is so I bet twenty five dollars on the on the Rams and the under. Yeah. And then, like in the moments before the second game kicked off, uh, I was still fucking hurting and obviously when you want to bet is when you're mad about the last bet going sour (laughs) the last possible moment and so then i put 50 bucks on the chiefs giving up two and a half points and the over 54 and not to get back into the weeds on the over under stuff but it wasn't looking great until the very end of that after the game ended bob pounded four bourbons (laughs) (laughs) just like immediately drink drink pour a drink drink pour a drink drink it was 
First of all, I three. think it was Sorry. three. It was three. And Sorry, it was three drinks that he pounded it, at 10 It wasn't after the night. game was over. It was after the kids went to bed okay. is when I poured my first drink, which was like <laughs> 9 o'clock. So the game was not even over yet. Right. Anyway, thrilling finish to the game, especially because I more than made up for the rest of the weekend's less than ideal Are gambling outcomes. Are all the games outcomes. on Sunday next weekend? Yeah, it's uh, three and six. They're, yeah, so they're both Sundays. By the way, I, I I just saw a tweet on it, so I don't know if this is going to be the final number, but they said the Kansas City area, they had like a 90 share. Like 90% of the people that had the TV on were watching the of Chiefs course. game. It's like... I don't think I've seen a number. If I mean, you, you weren't see that, at first, you were later. But that's a ridiculous thing. I don't know what the kind of program. I don't know what else was There's on not Sunday a lot night. Else to do there? You've been there, right? But like ninety. That's like somebody's watching TLC. Some something about like um. I don't know what other the other ten percent are watching, but that is a high number. Even like when they there's like a you know Iron Bowl whatever, and they do like Tuscaloosa whatever. It's like seventy or something. But ninety is upset right. if that holds. There's also. There's also just nothing else that unites us in terms of the culture anymore, right? Yes. Like it's just these yes. it's just it's not you can't even say playoffs. it's just sports. It's just playoff it's football. Right. It's, it's playoff <laughs> sports. It's final it's the stupid fucking basketball college thing that people like. It's the Right, playoff. there's March Madness and there's yeah. and yeah, there's playoff yeah. football and there's like nothing else. That is bizarre. true, yeah. It's very few and because it's a, a, like a an appointment kind of thing. Like the other sports Yes. You know, it ends in five, maybe it ends in seven. You you don't have the date that you can, you know. But this one, you know when these games are going to happen no matter what. It's so great. You and know you what needs to change, probably, is the what? overtime rules. So it's my hot take of the night. <laughs> I was not so happy the with. The entire internet. I, I was so happy with the, the, the game that I didn't care about the. The squid, yeah, they could have done the squibs. No, the overtime rules up. are stupid, but it, it was so fun. It is fucked up that yeah. in the playoffs, what right. is it? 10 out of 11 times the team that won the coin toss won the game. Right. Yeah. Not, like, not that's for, fucked up. Yeah, not not for nothing. They need to investigate that coin. There's something off. It's always tails, and I don't that something happened. <laughs> Went the wrong way. I, uh, I think that they can eliminate overtime in the regular season, first of all. You yeah. just accept the fact just that some games are going to end in ties. Tie. I like it. But for playoffs where you must have a winner, I think that you just play an extra period. Play another, yeah, the play full fifteen quarter. Right, play fifteen minutes. Yeah. and see what happens. Right. and then in that worst case scenario where you once again you have another tie, you can do the dueling. No, you do a plank contest, and if the whole team <laughs> can stay in a plank, whoever no. so I, whoever stays up longest. There was a goofy proposal that I think the Ravens proposed and that's kind of making the rounds which is i don't know how this would help anything basically the, the person who wins a coin toss can choose the spot of the ball or whether they want the ball so basically like one side will say we'll put the ball on the 20 and the other team can say oh fuck it we want the ball at 20 but if you say you know basically it's like you're trying to keep each other like on sort of, some sort of game theory like, yeah some sort of game theory like you decide where the ball's gonna be spotted and then we'll say if we want to play defense or offense and that way right. i guess most people just say 50 yard line right or something right right and i don't know what that would improve but like the you problem still have- was that basically everybody watching that game last night knew that whoever won the coin toss was going to win the game because of what had happened to the defenses over the last half an hour of, of viewing time right right and the only way that 
I think the Bills coach could have saved his bacon was to try an onside kick. And I know that sounds insane, but I think that was the only <laughs> chance the Bills had to actually win that game right. was to recover an onside kick at the start of overtime. Wonder, because once once you gave that ball to Mahomes, the game was over. Had anyone I think tried the, same, that? the reverse was true. If well, you I mean, gave the, the ball to Josh Allen, the game was over. Right. Mahomes was on the other side of the coin, so to speak, just a few years ago when the Patriots and the Chiefs played each other. And at the end, it looks like, oh, whoever gets, whomever gets the ball first scores. Yeah. The Patriots won the coin toss. Mahomes never got the ball. And he was shit out of luck. And right. now, and I think they said that the Chiefs proposed a change to the rule after that, but the NFL was like, fuck it. And now they're like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> it, it benefits us this time. But I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's a wash for them. I'm sure they would still it's, they push. They need to figure something else if you out. Were, if you were the Bills coach, would you have called? Because I, I really think I would have on site, like I was watching it as it happened. I was like, if I'm the Bills coach, I'm absolutely trying an onside kick right here. Do you think that, yeah, cause the, 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 I'm sure if you look at the defense, they're, they were pretty shot. Do you think that they could juice, because I don't think anyone actually tried this. I forgot that, that, I guess that is an option, an onside kick. Do you think that the NFL could say, to sweeten the pot, we, you know, we'll have a rule to where, you know, it's only like 10 men on the other side instead of 11, like something to where, like, raise there the possibility. There's all kinds of ways to make it better. Or how right. about... How about the onside kick can be recovered after five yards instead yeah. of ten yards? <laughs> you have <laughs> concussions. That would be a nice little scrum. Actually, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or or the way that the stupid XFL used to do it. Instead of the coin flip, you you do a rugby scrum at the start of the, yeah. <laughs> of the you extra period. You do a plank contest. <laughs> You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Also, uh, brainiron.com or castironbrains.com. Uh, opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Here's something we didn't get to during the show. Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, famously or infamously sort of half-canceled, I think, in Hollywood because of various accusations Some from sort of various Gal Gadot thing? Turns out he's an asshole. Why are you bringing through the it years. up? I'm bringing it up because this was glossed over because, of course, in this Me Too era, we're much more concerned with whether or not uh, Gal Gadot felt her feelings were hurt by the famous director while she was being paid $18 million to be Wonder Woman. She wasn't getting paid to be disrespected, Bob. Because of the unusual circumstances of her considerable genetic gifts, because her feelings were hurt. <laughs> We glossed over the following, which is also in the, the big article that made the rounds. When he was five, a four-year-old boy, the son of family friends, disappeared on his parents' property upstate. Eventually, the body was found. He had drowned in the pond. Years later, as a teenager, Whedon remembered he had called the boy over to the pond to play with him. After getting bored, he had walked away, leaving the boy alone by the water. I didn't think it was my fault, Whedon said. I knew I was five, but it doesn't just disappear as a thought. It took him another 30 years, he said, before another thought dawned on him. Even after the incident, his parents never taught him to swim. There was no structure, he said. There was no safety. So Joss Whedon, <laughs> apparently, when he was five, negligently manslaughtered Well, he uh, didn't do it. Though the water friend. did that. Sure, but like... 
talk about formative experiences. You're five years old. You invite your four-year-old friend over to play. There are no adults anywhere in the fucking world, apparently. Yeah, what's going on? The parents, the parents didn't care. You're playing in the pond, and then you walk away, and later you find out the four-year-old turned up dead in the pond? Holy shit. Yeah. That's yeah, fucked up. Why are up. you bringing this up? Just because that's fucked up, and nobody else seemed to talk about it after I the don't article want to came talk out. About it. Are you uh, are you suggesting this is a traumatizing event for him? No, actually, I'm suggesting it's a formative event. There's oh. a difference. Okay. Not everything is a trauma, Abe, but <laughs> things can be formative. <laughs> we promised last week that we were going to watch uh, the Amazon Prime film 2025: <laughs> The World film. Enslaved, Enslaved by a Virus. We did. We did do that. I hope that nobody else did. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't do that. I've cut about an hour of it. Uh, I regret it. It's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. It was also fun. Like, to be clear, it was enjoyably bad. But but production value-wise, it's much lower than I am accustomed to for hating on Christian movies. So, so what's particularly enjoyable about watching these bad Christian movies is usually that like hundreds of thousands, if not somewhere in the low millions of dollars were spent to create this entertainment. Oftentimes they make uh, some of that money back, you know? Yeah. Right. I think they spent about like 800 bucks here yeah. to, to make this movie. I mean, if, you're assuming yeah. that none of the actors got paid. Right. Which is a fair assumption. Yeah. Because they didn't. They shouldn't have. This is bad on a level of like me and my friends trying to make a movie or a podcast. Over the summer. Yeah, as we were saying earlier, when discussing who possibly could be the target audience for this, it's just the creators of the movie. It would, yes. In, yes. In much the same Not, way yeah, that the target audience <laughs> for the podcast here is uh, there, uh, me yes. and yours truly. There is some exposure uh, to that criticism for us, too. But what I don't understand about this, the movie is that the story is kind of incoherent because it's like, you know, the setting is like three years from now, right? Uh, but okay, I'll, I'll let that slide. Apparently something catastrophic happened because there's no one around except them and just uh, just random but, thugs. Like, I think that they're just in the middle of nowhere. But I don't think that... Yeah, but their world is so... They're, they're just so self-involved that... I suspect the communists weren't kind to anyone else either. It's not like they're just, oh, everybody else go out about living your life except Christians. You need to stop believing that. Like, I'm sure this is a bad thing for everybody. Like, the Jews aren't doing too well, the Muslims, and, right? So this, right, that the communists are against religions in this story, right? Right. But the only I'm thing just, they care about is just the Christian part of it, which is, again, right. fine. Never, That's never underestimate are. the human ability or desire the fundamental horniness at the core of humans at at being persecuted. Yes. And and you can <laughs> that you, goes that goes for these Christian groups. It goes for Taylor fucking Swift and how right. damaging it is for the blur front man to be mad about uh her not being a great songwriter. It goes for basically any category of human. We just want to be persecuted but, and then we want to revel in that persecution yeah, as much it, as possible. I, I wonder what that is. Maybe kind of like music like what is it what's so appealing about that framing of like this oppressive thing came and we overcame and I mean, look it's at us how now. a lot of people succeed right like if you think everything's fine then where's your will to live 
So if you are, if you're going to say, all right, everyone's against me and I have to fight to survive, then you're right. going to survive. But then once you are sur- delusional. Right. But w- once you survive, you're like, hey, live happy, go on about your life, right? No, I mean, no, they lose their purpose? No, because that's complacency. Okay. Ask Michael Jordan. So maybe that, so they, th- their life is too easy and they're like, they need to seek out some sort of persecution to kind of have well, purpose. Well, it's just and- like at your stupid, I mean, this, this doesn't apply to you. I realize as I'm saying it, but like when you're working at a stupid job, like a waiting tables job, you have to, like, in order to get through the night, you have to say, this is fucking important. Oh, I got to get this food out to the tables because it's fucking important. It's stupid. It's fucking food to people paying for it at a restaurant. Like, it doesn't matter, but you have to tell yourself that it matters. Right. Andrew Sullivan wrote a piece a few years ago called uh, We Are All on College Campuses Now or something like that. It was his first big foray into the coddling of the American mind sort of talk uh, in in terms of like how everybody is just the, the victim of a certain ideological mindset. And he wasn't exactly talking about this, but my experience of of being in college, there's a type of person who only ever wants to talk about how fucking tired they are and how much work they have to do and like how overwhelmed they are with everything like that. There, there is a sort of person who that is their experience or that is the way that they describe being in college at right. the time. Right. Which is I'm just so fucking busy and I'm working so hard and I have all of this other shit to do and the world is crashing down on me all the time. And you know what? You're taking three or four classes, and that right. means you're actually the, – the amount of the time that is actually tied up in your life is, like, at arguably the lowest point that it will ever be <laughs> right. again but, for but the rest of your life. But you don't have that perspective when you're experiencing that. Do you think that when people say that, are they p- putting on a performance, or do they actually feel exhausted and overwhelmed? Because – I don't know. Do it, the Christians well, – do today's Christians actually it. feel persecuted, or are they putting yeah. on a performance? It, and you, what's the difference, right? Yeah. Because as Vonnegut would say, we are what we pretend to be, right. so we must be careful what we pretend if to be. You if you say to yourself, th- it's fine, I got plenty of time, that's how you run out of time and you don't get stuff done. Right. So you, it kind of raises the stakes. Because the reason why I say this, uh, my, my boy uh, Bill Marshall came back from his little break and uh, he had Barry Weiss and she was just like all exasperated. She said, oh, I'm so done with this pandemic. I'm so tired. And then she lists off things that don't apply to her, right? Oh, the parents and the kids, it's very disruptive. It's like, okay, not happening to you. Uh, like it seems to me there's a lot of, sometimes when something bad's not happening to them, people just assume other people's hardships. So it's like, I don't get that. Like for a lot of people, this has been a disaster, right? The pandemic has been disruptive in some ways. But there's a segment, a not insignificant segment, where nothing happened. Like, people like me, nothing, I would never complain about it. This has been totally fine. It's been, right. not, not not the pandemic itself, but just the, the last two years. I haven't faced any adversity. There's been no hardship. But I do sympathize with people that do have those issues because, you know, things outside their control. But I just don't like it when, again, I don't know why, maybe she, you know, whatever. Uh but sometimes it just seems like some people are just like, Ugh, and it's not even happening to them. It's just like they're just right. witnessing it. And you can well, process. But that's, even if nothing's happening to you, like I was saying last week, 
people's attitudes are just terrible and that shit's contagious yeah and even if you're fine if all you're hearing is how everybody is so not fine right it will make you feel not fine okay so maybe that's yeah i just read kind of weird when i I think also she's she's paid to like say stupid shit right so that maybe that's part of it right maybe that's not paid but not paid but incentivized certainly uh whatever Abe, it sounds like you've just internalized all of that trauma and don't know how to properly <laughs> deal with it. And someday, hopefully, you'll come around to never, see the ways in which you've been victimized over the last few years. I never considered myself like uh, an, an optimist or any. I never optimist or pessimist or anything like that. But just by comparison, I guess I am because I never think anything bad will happen. And then I don't like work like. You know, people have their pets. I just have like a ball. I just throw it against the wall, and it's fine. Like you know, plenty of wall space. And I read a book and move on. Hate you. Yeah. So Uh, besides 2025, which you watched an hour of, and all of the football, did you get into any other? There's nothing to get into movie wise. This is a very rough stretch. Uh, But and I knew this would happen. I signed up for Apple TV Plus like a year plus ago when it was for free for a year. And I was like, I'll just set an alarm, uh, a calendar. I'll get to the bottom of it December. Make sure you cancel. If you're not like watching it, you know, why start paying? Right. And like two months in, I was like, oh, that stupid fucking Apple thing. They got me for two months. So right. like I canceled, but it didn't take effect until like next month. So I have a month of like, I need to just nice. justify these few dollars that I spent. So I'm just going through their catalog now. We still have uh, one episode of The Vow left to watch, and that's another one where you watch these people, and I'm not saying that, that this wasn't very important to them, but the the people who were in the Nexium sex cult, like, this is a, a bizarre hurricane in a teacup of their own making. Right. And it's just, people are just frothing at the opportunity <laughs> to live in their own fucking dramas and it's so far removed right. from the way that i see like how like what would be a meaningful life to me yeah. that i almost can't identify with it and it makes yeah. it hard for me to feel bad for the ways that they were in fact like truly victimized by this fucking scumbag right and it's because in part like they fucking live for the drama. Yeah. They absolutely live for it to be at the center of this stuff. Right. And I I cannot wrap my my head around that. Like and and, and part of that is like th- there is this weird human and it not to try to make everything tie in so neatly all the way back to Taylor Swift's complaint about how something is so damaging to her. <laughs> People just absolutely have to find meaning and fraughtness in their lives for any of it to matter to them right and the and the 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 nexium people it's just oozing with unnecessary uh self-important drama stuff that i just can't identify well, and I wonder with how at much all. of that is american and western i guess i should say yeah maybe yeah, the, i mean the, it's learned I feel like the eastern cultures are much more able to go oh well we just work 80 hours a week right. and that's just what it is and yeah, I suspect that this yeah. is all like it's, learned it's, behavior stuff. Just, yeah, like, it makes perfect sense for a, a cult that cultivated uh, a sense of a cult of the individual, right? The celebration of each individual fucking snowflake as empowered and special that you end up with people making documentaries about themselves and their experience right. of being in the cult and how they were victimized by it all. It all checks out. Uh, certainly. I wouldn't have joined the cult, but also, I mean, this, and this is a credit to them. This is, I'm not saying people shouldn't come out, but if I was like branded 
I would just die with that. Like, I don't think there would be ever a six-parter where I explain how I was branded some fucking schmucks initials. Like, that. but again, to their credit, they they got out of the the the, the rut and uh, they they spoke their truth. But not, I don't have that capacity. But then again, I also don't have the capacity to join a cult. But that's another thing. You got uh, anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. What he says there at the beginning, where he says that so much of modern music would not withstand sort of just being up on stage with a piano or a, or a guitar, uh, and that a lot of modern musicians rely just on, like, vibes, basically. Uh, right. That is very similar to... What I've been complaining about for the last few years, you go look at the most popular artists of the last 10 years, and... And they all suck. It's not just that they all suck. It's like, which who among them even has, like, songs that you're going to remember and identify with them 20 years from now? And... But are we in a position to answer that question? I mean, the kids that are coming up now, they'll probably connect to some of those... Gar- I mean, there's music No, it's... That's- we are. It's the only thing Bob's ever been right about. It's the same as everything, right? There's just too much out there, and it, right. everyone is into too many little things. Like, Drake makes a lot of music. He makes right. a lot of very popular music. But he's always showing up at the top of the charts and right, whatever, but, right? But, but that do just any means of those, people are listening to Do it. any of right. those songs fucking matter, right? So I can point to, like, a couple of Kanye songs that fucking matter, that that to use the sort of Bill Simmons and, and Klosterman uh framing device is like they would be pantheon songs right you could come up with a handful of kanye pantheon songs there aren't any drake pantheon songs there aren't any there aren't any songs uh, unlike say like whitney houston who you're gonna be you'll you'll be hearing whitney houston songs for the rest of modernity right as long as people are having weddings there will be a, a a half a dozen I dance with somebody Whitney Houston songs day. that play at the fucking wedding. There will be Madonna songs that stand the test of time, not because they're great, but because they're interesting and unique enough to be played over and over again forever, and they are uniquely identifiable to her and to a time period. With Beyonce, you can get like three, maybe. Yeah. Like there are Uptown Funk is the one. Right. Uptown Funk, like that is another stupid song that will stand the test of time. It has a well, a flavor okay. that is recognizable. Whereas a Drake song is just a Drake song and it's in a long line of fucking Drake songs that don't fucking matter. And it's just what? like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has like maybe one song that will that that distinguishes that her. Song. Yeah. That song's ten years old. Oh my god. <laughs> Something like that. I mean I My argument is also largely about pop music, not music that's under the radar like i guarantee you there's great music being made right now the point is that you can go and look at the the modern rock charts and the and the hip-hop charts and the even the pop charts from the 90s or the early 2000s even and it's a better it's, it's just a better cut of meat there than there is now and i don't think there's a lot of arguing with that Oh, orange. Why are you so anxious? Um, nom, nom, nom.